Hey guys, welcome back to the marketplace. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and this is episode number 89. Today, I'm joined with Revender Deal, who is a certified Bitcoin professional. He's been involved in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space since 2013. Now, remember, it was created in 2009, so that's still relatively early, and that even shows more of the point while we're still early in the game, period. He's seen the space grow tremendously himself. He said he saw a white space in the structured education of it all, so he's taken it upon himself to help us get the knowledge in everything that we need in one place by Udemy courses that he's created. Currently, he has over 23 Udemy courses. He has over 83,000 students that have pulled and gleaned from those courses. He started out teaching live classes, which then led to the creation of B21 Block, which is his website. And all of that will be in the show notes, where along with a team and co-instructors, the goal is to bring high quality, engaging and practical cryptocurrency and blockchain education online. This guy has a lot of valuable information, and I'm so excited that he's bringing it on the show and answering a lot of our questions. So without further ado, here's an awesome guy, my man, Ravender Deal. Hey, Ravender, welcome to the program. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me, Bruce. I'm excited to have you. As I told you offline, as I got further into the cryptocurrency space, blockchain, you were somebody that just constantly came up uh, with your Udemy courses and just your name in general. I watched tons of video and absorbed tons of content from you. So I thought it would be proper to have you on the show, introduce you to our audience. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? First off, like I said, thank you for having me. And uh, yes, yeah, great to see that kind of you followed some of my content and came across it. So it's pretty fascinating to see how people kind of come into your work. Yeah. A bit about me. I'll try and condense it, but make it as informative as I can up to kind of this current point, really. Um, so as I'm sure many people will be interested in, and I get the question quite often, when did you hear about Bitcoin? Because they're trying to suss out when I bought Bitcoin. Uh, right. But that's what they're trying. They don't want to ask, how much did I buy? They divert that and ask, when did you get involved? Uh, <laughs> and then they'll do the math from there, right? Yes, exactly. They'll do the math. They'll put out a calculator and they'll do the math. <laughs> so yeah, kind of initially, I heard about Bitcoin in 2011, 2012. So, you know, you could say very early days. But it was just a concept that came across, but I didn't really pay that much attention. It was just something I heard about, kind of knew very little about it. I kind of brushed it aside, so to speak. But during that time, kind of 2013, 2014, I was working for this company and I was helping to put together a training program for them in the finance field, unrelated to cryptocurrency, blockchain and anything. So I was helping this finance company put together a training program. And that was around accounting and payroll. And it was through there initially where I learned how to put together an effective learning program so someone can walk away with some real value and something actionable. And it was actually while there, I heard about Bitcoin again. Mm. So you could say this was probably late 2013, very early 2014. Mm -hmm. Naturally, because I was then working in finance, it started to interest me a lot more. And a lot of people ask, did you kind of learn about the Austrian School of Economics Theory, Libertarianism before? And the answer to that would be no. It's kind of Bitcoin which introduced me to that world. And so, yeah, kind of learned, heard about Bitcoin again in 2013, early 2014, and started to dive more deep into it. And at that point, and even now, everyone's kind of 
self-certified in a way. Yeah. Everyone learns about, it, learns about it for their own self-learning. And my initial step was to read the white paper. And it still surprises me to this day how many people get involved in Bitcoin. And don't read the white paper. Yeah. I mean, even if you just you know glance over it, um, it's still the number one reading material without a question of a doubt to really understand what Bitcoin is. So yeah, kind of heard about it again and really then started to dive deeper into it. Let's put a finger here real quick and put this in context for people how early it was. So first of all, Bitcoin is said to be or have come out in 2009 by Santoshi, who is this mythical figure. It's still very early. So we're only talking about a few years later. But to better understand what you're looking at and better understand what coins and ICOs you're digging into, you're looking at the white papers, correct? Yeah. So yeah, kind of started learning more, reading into the white paper and uh, all the technology around it. And, you know, like you mentioned, it was still very early. And if you look at money, any sort of money, I mean, when cattle was used as money to kind of gold, that transition took tens, hundreds of years. So to come into Bitcoin, and at that point, it was seen more as digital money. Um, it was still extremely early stages in the ecosystem, and it was still pretty difficult for many people to buy. So yeah, 2014 started learning more about it, and it was towards the middle, to, from the middle of 2014 going forth to the start of 2015, where I started actually doing live classes. So that's where I kind of stopped my journey with the current company, because it was on a project basis to help them get this online learning, blended learning project set up. So once that expired, I kind of, you know, it was a natural transition for me because I learned so much about Bitcoin to then move into kind of Bitcoin education training because that was one thing that was really lacking and one thing that was stopping mass adoption because people did not understand it at all. So yeah, kind of 2014, I did the live classes. 2015, January, actually, is where I put my first official Bitcoin live class online, which was, you know, it was a fantastic moment. Ever since then, 2015, 2016, um, 2017, now 2018, we've continued to publish kind of these high quality online classes to teach people about Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency ecosystem, blockchain now, and, you know, Ethereum development, covering the whole ecosystem over those years. And, you know, through the project, so we have B21 Block, Cryptocurrency and Blockchain School, and uh, Bitcoin Academy. So, you know, through those two projects, we aim to educate people around this ecosystem as much as we can. And, you know, I'm always stoked that we now reach like, over 100,000 students in 193 countries. Which, if you consider the United Nations has, I believe, 193 member countries, um, it always amazes me as to the scope of this, let's say, financial revolution. It impacts so many people around the world. It truly is a financial revolution. The biggest confusion I think people have is the difference between Bitcoin, which is the actual coin, and then blockchain, which is the ledger that tracks the coins that are being traded. Can you dig in or share a little bit the difference between the two and how it works in the total ecosystem of cryptocurrencies as it is today? A lot of people get started, they'll see Bitcoin. And then, I mean, you only have to go to a website like CoinMarketCap. You'll see Bitcoin and then you'll see a whole host of other cryptocurrencies now. It's probably like a new one coming out every day. Um, so Bitcoin is a form of cryptocurrency. It just happens to be the most popular, the most valuable at this moment in time. So, you know, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. It's just one version of a cryptocurrency in one form. We have Ethereum, we have Dash, Monero, we have a whole host. 
the majority of them anyway have their own use cases. For example, Monero is a lot more privacy focused. Ethereum is you you know Ethereum is kind of let's say a decentralized application platform, and there's so many different use cases. So Bitcoin initially was seen as digital money, which it still is to this day because companies recognize it as legal tender for themselves. But we're seeing that natural transition of Bitcoin being recognized more as a digital gold now over people using it for day-to-day spending. Of course, it was supposed to be digital cash, but yeah, it's kind of just transitioned, I think, in my opinion anyway, to people seeing it as digital gold and more of a store of value long-term because you know it's still extremely volatile. Hence, it doesn't do the case of, let's say, a use of money because money should be stable, really. Um, so good at the moment. It's definitely seen as more of an investment and a long-term store of value for many people who get involved now. Can you explain to the audience why coins are created? Meaning when you see different companies out there create coins, for example, there's one called FollowCoin. What is the purpose of these companies slash groups of people that create these coins for people to purchase? What would be my reason for purchasing a coin? What is my investment what are the companies ultimately trying to sell? Good question. And something a lot of people think, that, why have we got so many coins? And I was actually talking to some guy just before I came onto this, um, into, into this podcast interview. And he spoke to a company. And you know, I'll give a good example or use case now. So I can't remember the name of the company right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But they're launching an initial coin offering which is a way of creating a cryptocurrency and putting it into the market. It's kind of an IPO, but you get initial coin offerings, a lot of, much more deregulated, decentralized. And they are creating a cryptocurrency for the iGaming market. Mm-hmm. By iGaming, I mean kind of online gambling and stuff like that. So their coin will have a purpose of being used predominantly for iGaming sites and making it easier for them to transact, making it quick, making it kind of simple, kind of an in-game currency. So that's their vision and that will be their coin. So the price of their coin, you know, we don't know what the price of their coin will be, but it will depend on how valuable and how many companies use it, what the volume's like, circulation supply and so on. But a question I always come back to when I hear of projects like this mm-hmm. is why not use something like Ethereum or Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency? I mean, the argument with Bitcoin would probably be the transaction, the speed in which the transaction happens is quite delayed. I mean, the network gets clogged sometimes in the Bitcoin network. Once the kind of the protocol gets updated and stuff, we should uh, that should speed transactions back up. But you know, it always comes back to me: why not use a, a token that's currently in supply, like Ethereum? Because a lot of these tokens are built upon the Ethereum blockchain. So any token that's built upon the Ethereum blockchain is known as an ERC twenty token. So I mean, there's loads of different use cases for tokens, and a lot of the new ones are created through initial coin offerings. And like I said, the easiest way to look at that is like an initial public offering. But in the cryptocurrency world, it's a lot more deregulated and it's a lot more risky. So when people go into something like that, I'm like, do your research as much as you can. Like you have to be, you have to go very deep, make sure it's a very good team behind it. And really nail the use case because a lot of these coins don't have a potentially good use case so you know, it's a very interesting area and a lot, a lot more regulation and discussions opening up about it. I mean, the SEC had a hearing like last week mm-hmm. um, about ICOs and it was quite surprising how positive they were about the ecosystem in general and embracing it, especially blockchain technology. 
but they were kind of keen, you know, on protecting the citizens of a country mm-hmm. and saying, you know, we have put something in place because people are getting scammed left, right, and center when it comes to initial coin offerings, taking money and then essentially running and not following through on their roadmap. Yeah. And there's a lot of what's known as pump and dump out there. So people are lifting up the prices of these ICO or initial coin offerings and they're raising the price of them. And only a handful of people know that this price is kind of artificially inflated. And then they're pulling out and you're left with a dump, basically. Exactly. You'll find these groups on Facebook, on Telegram. You're always going to get the kind of the get rich quick scheme kind of individuals. I mean, I don't follow that philosophy. I believe in like bringing long-term value, especially to such a new ecosystem. Yeah. You're always going to get those people. But yeah, it is sometimes, you know, people do get caught out by them. I mean, I've seen some, seen how some of these schemes operate. And I personally tell people to avoid them, especially if you're a new investor, just invest in good projects, research them heavily, and then get involved. I mean, you're going to get burnt. A lot of people will get burnt if they kind of follow along with these pump and dump schemes, because there's always an ulterior motive yeah. behind them. It's never one that I'd recommend people to follow. I mean, the best thing, regardless of what ecosystem or industry you're in, always bring value. Well, it's one of the reasons why I invited you on the show was because in the space, like any space, so before people get critical about cryptocurrency and think cynical thoughts of it, anything you go into a church, you walk into a certain digital marketing space, you're going to find people that try to find black hat cut corner systems to it. And cryptocurrency space is no different, but I've met people and I've vetted through you. And I think you are somebody that has great content out there. It's very consistent. It's very sensible and practical in its approach. It's why I'm sharing what you have with the audience, because I think what you're doing is key to this environment. We want to continue to have people in this space like you who are really saying, hey, there's huge potential here, but you also have to be careful of the dark alleys within this space as well. So the biggest thing that people got into the last year was FOMO, the fear of missing out. And we talk about coins coming out every day and weekly, and there's something new and people are just running mad. Let's focus on kind of the top ones, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Litecoin, things of that nature. Is it too late for people to get in those? And let's start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin trying to hurry up and log into my Coinbase, I think right now (laughs) is uh, at 10,000 bucks as we're talking right now. Is it too late for somebody to get into Bitcoin and some of these larger coins out there? And should they or should they just focus on ICOs? Should they make that a method and just go with the ICOs versus the big dogs? Can I give you a piece of advice here, which will really help a lot of people listening? I want you to share anything you want to. This is your show. Coinbase, fantastic wallet, very easy to get started with. And perhaps the most valuable cryptocurrency blockchain company at the moment, like it's a unicorn. But I'd recommend to move your coins out of there. Binance. Yes, I'm... I'm... No, no, I wouldn't even store in Binance. I mean, that's an exchange. I'd recommend you store on a wallet where you control the private keys. Okay. If you want to invest in a wallet, like a Trezor wallet or a Legend Nano S, that's probably the safest way to hold your coins because it's kept offline and you control the private key. With sites like, with wallets like Coinbase, they're very easy to use, of course, but they control your private key. And your private key is what dictates ownership of the coins. 
God forbid, if Coinbase disappeared overnight, which is very unlikely, I'm sure that they've got insurance policies in place and stuff. But if it did disappear overnight, you've not got your private key. So you can't then go and get your Bitcoins back. How do you do that? What, what steps do I take to, because I'm going to do it as, as you guys are listening today, I'm going to do this. Like I said, like I said probably this, the safest wallet is like a Trezor or a Legend NOS, which is a hardware wallet. And they're about $99, something like that. But you can use alternative wallets that give you access to your private keys. So Exodus is one that comes straight to mind. That's E-X-O-D-U-S dot And they're a desktop wallet, so you download that to your desktop. And you can store multiple coins on there. I think there's about 20 at the moment, and they're always adding more. And with that wallet, you control your private keys, not the actual wallet provider. And yeah, that's the key with anything. I mean, security is such a big area in this ecosystem. I mean, storing on even on an exchange, for example, we mentioned Binance. Binance is great. I love the exchange, but I would never store significant amounts on an exchange because they're prime targets for hackers because they know there's volume going through there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely recommend anyone to get a wallet where you control the private keys. Bitcoin allows you to be your own bank. So you need to take those precautions. That is awesome stuff. Let's go kind of, you know, libertarian kind of. Bitcoin liberates people. So why should you allow someone else to control your private key if Bitcoin is allowing you to have financial freedom? Mm -hmm. You should take full control and make your setup as secure as possible. I definitely recommend kind of, I mean, an easy wallet flows, for example, let's say buy with Coinbase because it's easy to buy with, then send your coins out from Coinbase into an Exodus wallet. Once you've got what you think is a significant amount, invest in a hardware wallet and then send them from Exodus into your hardware wallet. So that's an easy, let's say, a free wallet flow for different stages of your, let's say, portfolio. So I'm looking at Treasure now, a T-R-E-Z-O-R, and it's showing here that it just plugs right into your laptop. Indeed. And this is the hardware wallet that you're giving as an example. Yes, that's a fantastic hardware wallet. It's probably as secure as you can get your Bitcoins in such a user-friendly way. So it works as like a USB would. And you just plug it in, log into Trezor, send your coins across when you're done, log out, pull your Trezor wallet out of your computer, and that's it. It's offline. You're not vulnerable to hackers. Mm. But then once you've got that, of course, you get your private keys with Trezor. But then you now need to take the step of thinking, okay, where do I store my Trezor? You don't want to leave it lying around on the table. So (laughs) you need to now find somewhere safe and secure to store your Trezor. You're taking those precautions, especially if you're buying considerable amounts and you know it's something i always emphasize security it's not talked about enough i mean people losing millions and millions of dollars due to hacks or you know just general security flaws there's no kind of i've forgotten my password link to click and get access to your private keys again <laughs> if someone else knows your private key it's okay. they have as much control over your bitcoins as you do yeah it's something that people do need to be kind of you know mindful of this is a great tip So going back to the original question, what do you think is the better strategy to focus on the Litecoins, Ethereum, Bitcoins of the world, or focus purely on ICOs or a little bit of both? What would be a good strategy to approach this as? So initially, if I was advising someone to get involved, I mean, talk to many people about getting involved, I definitely say start out with Bitcoin, start out with the most kind of I don't want to say stable because it's not, but the most well-known and the most kind of known out there and used, which is Bitcoin. It's, the, it's one that people get entry into. I mean, a lot of these cryptocurrencies, ICOs, all these, 
The way to get into them is by getting into Bitcoin. True. You can't really buy ICOs with US dollar or euros. Bitcoin is the entry point. Um, so I'd always advise generally get into Bitcoin first. Bitcoin, get into the main ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and so on. I mean, there's quite a few well-known ones. But do your research as well. Don't just buy because someone told you to buy. If someone says buy Bitcoin, and you, you know it's you know, the number one cryptocurrency, it's seen as a digital gold, it's capped to 21 million. But then do your own due diligence. Value-wise, I still think it has a very long way to go, mm-hmm. value-wise. I think, you know, it's still a very new ecosystem. I mean, I'll just refer back to what I mentioned earlier about money. So kind of we move from cattle to gold and so on. I mean, that took tens and hundreds of years. Bitcoin is still extremely new. So we're still seeing that growth. And along the way, we're going to see the price drop, as we have seen recently. It kind of went to 20000 then it dropped down to below 10000 US dollars. We're going to see that. We're going to see that along the way. It happens about once a year. And if anything, that's a great time to buy. But yeah, I definitely recommend kind of a buy and hold strategy, which sounds simple. And it is. But a lot of people do tend to kind of get, probably the easiest way to put it is kind of, you know, button clicking syndrome. So like, they'll see the price go up. And it's, like, oh, it's gone up a thousand. I'm going to sell. Um, and then, you know, it goes up 2000. They're like, oh, I wish I kept. Then it drops by 3000. They're like, I feel good. I sold. Buy it and hold it for the long term. Yeah. I wouldn't buy it with the intention of selling it in a month or two months because it's so volatile as an investment in the true so-called to speak. I definitely recommend a buy and hold strategy or in other words, kind of dollar cost averaging. So um, let's say you've got $10,000 to invest in Bitcoin. I generally wouldn't advise spending that $10,000 in one lump sum. What I'd say is, you know, spend let's say twelve thousand dollars makes it easier so i'd advise spending one thousand dollars every month for example on the first of every month over a year that's the easiest way to put a dollar cost averaging strategy and the idea is over those 12 months your average price that you purchase bitcoin at will drop hence giving you a larger profit over the long term dollar cost averaging is something that a lot of people have had success with and it just breaks down that mental barrier of buying Mm -hmm. especially because bitcoin's at ten thousand dollars now a lot of people are in that mindset that i'm too late this is gone you know i can't get involved but if you kind of break that down and do something like dollar cost averaging and put in like i said if you had twelve thousand a thousand every month it just breaks that barrier down rather than investing twelve thousand in one month, which is a significant amount of money for anybody. And I like the advice of buying and holding. You know, there's two things that I would say to people is number one, never put in what you can't afford to lose to begin with. So you talked about $10,000. If that's really all you have, don't look at it as gambling. Like I'm throwing 10,000 on there. I should be able to make all my money back. Honestly, to see yourself as an investor and not a day trader, you don't want to watch this thing evolve. You really want to invest in something that you can essentially potentially lose because you might and or something that you can hold on to and it doesn't shake up the way you live. So those are two key things. Again, don't invest money that you can't lose. And number two is don't see yourself as a day trader, see yourself as an investor. I would say. Exactly. I mean, of course, traders make money through volatility, but Bitcoin is extreme. It's far more volatile than, yeah. let's say, the Forex market. I would never advise people, especially if they've got no trading experience at all or very little trading experience, to start getting involved in buying, selling, selling, buying weekly, monthly. You know, stick to a fundamental strategy of buy and hold, dollar cost averaging, and start by initially investing in 
Bitcoin, something that's a bit more proven than all of these other coins that are coming along like ICOs. Now, if by chance you see a fantastic project that's coming along that's going to introduce your token, really do your due diligence on that and you know, really find out why they need a token. Yeah. There's no harm in investing in initial coin offerings if it's a fantastic project, but you really need to do need to be careful, far more careful than investing in the well-known coins naturally, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. Yeah, I agree. You know, this may be a silly question because similar to the regular financial markets that people are used to, whether it's the euro, USD, whatever it may be, but why do certain global events change the value of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin? We talked about it being so volatile. Well, you'll see it go up crazy. It'll drop crazy based on what China does and based on what other countries are doing. And it affects what happens in the UK, you know, all around, obviously, it's a global currency. So why does that happen? Why does events have an impact on it? Yeah, I mean, there's so many events. I'll name a few, actually. But yeah, I mean, because it's so, it's international, it's cross borders. Any event, politically or you know, geopolitically wise, can potentially impact Bitcoin positively or negatively. I'm from the UK originally, as you might be able to tell from my accent. Um, <laughs> so I'll bring up the topic of Brexit. Oh, um, no. So we're UK, kind of separated from the EU, um, which is, you know, it's a good example. I've been in many black cabs having very in-depth conversations with the cabbies over there about Brexit. Yeah, I can imagine it. I won't state my opinion because I never really get too political. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but, I, but I have my opinion. But anyway, when Brexit happened, I was actually in the US when the, you know, when the result was announced. I wasn't escaping. I was just in the US just, you know, just as a coincidence. So I was watching the news and uh, yeah, the results came through. Brexit happened. Um, the value of the Great British Pound kind of compared to the USD and Euro dropped extre- pretty, very significantly more than I've ever seen before, you know, in my life. But Bitcoin, that actually rose um, and it rose by, you know, I think it was double digit percentage now. Um, and the reason for that, it's Bitcoin is something which allows you to hedge against economic turmoil, which is what I like to say. Now, if anyone's ever seen my courses or videos and stuff like that, it's something I reinforce. It. Bitcoin does allow you to hedge against kind of this economic turmoil and uh, any issues in the ecosystem politically wise. I mean, the same happened in the US. I mean, some people saw when President uh, Donald Trump was uh, elected, some people saw that as negative, some people saw it as positive. Um, but Bitcoin's value actually increased during that time. All these geo, like these political events in India, when we had uh, the demonetization, so the kind of the band, I believe it was the 2000 rupee note, literally overnight, Bitcoin's price went up. Um, so people see it as an alternative store of value, so a hedge against economic turmoil, which can't be controlled by any outside party. No kind of agenda by a government can really control it and affect it. It's only the people who are involved in it really have a say. So yeah, Bitcoin is the perfect hedge against economic turmoil, as is gold. Hence why gold generally also increases during times like that. So I have to ask this question, but do you think Bitcoin will bust the coin itself? Now, I want to talk a little bit about blockchain, which I'm a firm believer in blockchain. I'm I'm less willing to put anything in terms of betting one of my kids on 
Bitcoin. But what do you think? Do you think it'll bust or what's your thoughts around it? I don't think Bitcoin will bust. No, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm very kind of, let's say, bullish on Bitcoin as an alternative store of value. It is a digital gold. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll be, see Bitcoin go to zero. I mean, in theory, it could happen, but I don't think it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do not think Bitcoin will go to zero. I think it's here to stay. And it will you know, consistently provide mm-hmm. value and kind of gains for people if they wish to kind of invest in it uh, over the long term, though. I mean, short term, they'll have these kind of these volatility and teething issues. And yeah, you, of course, you bring up the blockchain, which is you know, it's something, let's say, even two years ago, three years ago, people weren't really paying attention to. So that's, of course, the ecosystem still new, so there wouldn't be. So only like the past two years, year, that I've really seen so much more interest to grow in it. Which is, you know, it's fantastic. It's the real innovation. If anything, Bitcoin is the perfect disguise for the real revolution and the innovation, which is blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. There's a great quote, I think it was by William Morgua. I don't know how to pronounce the same correctly. I hope that's correct. Mm-hmm. So he's a pretty prolific kind of blockchain author and kind of evangelist, extremely smart person. And he kind of compares the blockchain to Google Docs. So if anyone's used Google Docs, it's kind of collaborative. And the way he kind of compares that to the blockchain is by saying, you know, if something's updated, for example, if we had a Google Doc, I create something on my end, Mm -hmm. you edit it, but let's say we set permissions in place. So if I create the document and you want to edit edit the document then, and we have 10 other people in this document writing a book together, everyone else has to agree upon that change before it's then implemented. But everyone has a say. Everyone has a say who's connected to that network, so-called to speak, as a node, as to what changes are implemented. Writing a book, for example, with 100 people, let's say, Mm -hmm. would be a good way to explain that with a Google Doc analogy. Yeah, it's one of the main reasons why I think companies are now just coming around to accepting this new financial system that we're getting into, Bitcoin, blockchain. And I'm going to ask you the same, and maybe you're going to mention some of the same, but I'm familiar with Fidelity, UPS, and some other companies that are actually getting into this space. Are you familiar with other mainstream businesses that are kind of jumping full in into the blockchain cryptocurrency space? You mentioned some great examples there. So, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what Fidelity investments are using it for, but you know, UPS will be for kind of logistics. Yep. I did come across a very interesting one. I think it was about a week ago. Singapore Airlines, they're planning to introduce a blockchain-based loyalty program. Oh, wow. Which I thought was a fantastic idea. And it's kind of a very good use case for blockchain technology, creating this kind of loyalty programs. So that's a fantastic use case. And I'd say the one that interested me the most, simply because it's not involved around money or anything like that. And it was a friend who told me, actually. So it's about the government in Brazil, kind of in relation to the Amazon rainforest and all that. And it's around land ownership rights. Well, they're talking about introducing a blockchain technology to stop the mass destroying of parts of the rainforest because at the moment it's difficult for them to track mm-hmm. who owns which part or what parts are owned by people hence it's getting destroyed mm-hmm. that's a very interesting use case of blockchain technology to track this land ownership rights and to ensure that more is not getting destroyed than it should be wow that's really interesting see this has so many tentacles that can come from it that's why i think that People cannot just write this system off as just fraud because there's so many other things that will be built off of this that will be part of our systemic fabric. It may not be as intricate 
within my lifetime, but by the time our children's children come along, it'll be a thing. It will. I mean, yeah, the technology, I mean, the technology is still very early stages. I mean, yeah. Ethereum blockchain development. So, I mean, we create courses on this topic and, you know, when we're creating courses, you know, we, we create very in-depth courses on it because it's a very new technology. But, you know, sometimes by the time we've created a course, we get an announcement that, oh, we've got a new version update. So basically everything else is outdated. So I mean, it's such a fast moving ecosystem, but it's still very much experimental at this stage, which is something, yeah, a lot of people should understand. Yeah. As you mentioned, still very new. And on the topic of fraud, which you mentioned, I'm sure many people have seen it that, I mean, it's spread all over the news that Bitcoin's used for, you know, fraud or tax evasion or whatever. You know, it's an interesting argument, but then, you know, my counter argument to that is fiat currency. So the US dollar or the euro mm -hmm. or even the Great British pound, that's used far more <laughs> for true. those cases for tax evasion, buying illegal products. That's used far more than yeah. cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. So yeah, I'm, I'm always, you know, intrigued when I see an article like that pop up because to compare it to kind of US dollar euro, they'd find out that's used far more. That is interesting. And sometimes when I read that, you know, I'm a marketer at heart. So I, I kind of see that people, they know Bitcoin is the hot topic. So they're trying to find the other side of the argument just to be able to get content out there and be able to get clicks and all that good stuff. There's a lot of rich, rich, strong stuff in this where people probably should be less concerned about fraud because to your point, there's tons and millions and trillions of dollars of fraud that's happening in fiat currency. So there you have that. So I'm just starting. I'm listening to this podcast. I'm interested in getting involved. I don't have anything right now. What should I do as a starting investor? Now, I know you're just giving advice and this isn't anything that you're telling people you guarantee it or have a stamp of approval on. But what are the starting steps that I should take in terms of the platform I should jump on? And how should I get started? Okay, so first step, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, which was very good, is, you know, don't fall into the trap of FOMO, so the fear of missing out. Don't feel that you have to buy this second because otherwise you're going to lose. The first step with anything is do your research. You know, you're going to become an investor once you buy into Bitcoin. So, you know, do a bit of research, understand what it is, understand all of that. Then once you're comfortable, consider how much of investment you're willing to make. So let's say you've got $12,000 that you can put in and still be comfortable. So with this $12,000, imagine that it all went to zero. Could you still live comfortably and put food on the table for your family? If the answer is yes, then you know you're safe to invest that. If the answer is no, then revise how much you're going to invest. Let's say you've got $12,000 and if it theoretically all went to zero, it wouldn't bother you. What I'd then suggest is that you break that down over equal increments. So over 12 months, you're going to invest $1,000 a month. That's probably the safest way to do it. And you can perhaps maybe even bring down, you know, the average cost at which you buy. But one of the main things for me with that strategy is that it breaks down that mental barrier of clicking to buy. Mm -hmm. If you're putting $12,000 in and, you know, you're going to hesitate clicking that button. So that breaks down that mental barrier. And then from there, it's deciding what platform to use. So like I mentioned, Coinbase is a very easy way for many people to get started. Personally, I'd probably use an exchange, for example, Binance or Kraken to buy, simply because you're offered better rates to buy Bitcoin at. They are a little more complicated to use. So let's say Coinbase, because it's very easy to use. You can then kind of sign up, create an account, 
Make sure that you enable two-factor authentication. It's just an extra layer of security. And then you can start buying. And as you do, always export or send your Bitcoins out as they come in into a wallet where you control the private keys. So let's give Exodus as the example. So Exodus.io and then transfer that out. And once you've built up a significant or starting to build up a significant amount, invest a little bit into a hardware wallet. Now, if you've got $12,000 to invest, buying a $99 hardware wallet shouldn't be too much of an issue. So definitely take security first. But yeah, it's a very simple strategy. But you know, once you've bought it, don't kind of... I tend to not look at the price every day, which, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you don't look at the price every day? I'm like, no. I was like, I'm invested for the long term. You know, I kind of know where it's going a little bit. I mean, it could change, but kind of I have this vision in my head of where it's going, kind of being involved in the ecosystem. And yeah, don't kind of key, you know, once it's on your wallet, don't think, oh, I'm going to sell now because, you know, it's getting too much or what. Invest for the long term. It's an alternative store of value. In, if the worst case, for example, for a recession hit, I could imagine, as gold tends to go up during a recession, I could imagine Bitcoin, a digital gold, holding its value, if not, you know, rising in value. Hey, gang. Today's podcast is sponsored by Crypto Wallet IRA. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. Look, I'm tired of the cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But I'm telling you, this company has hit something and forevermore, the market has changed how we look at digital assets and currencies. For an increasing majority of investors, cryptocurrency holds tremendous promise as the future of money, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital currencies are an attractive and profitable investment opportunity. Much like cash or stocks, digital currencies are a legal, eligible asset class to diversify an investment portfolio. And now is your time to get involved in the investment portfolio. Many people cannot just come up with money to buy Bitcoin because it's $10,000 and they think I got to throw $10,000 at it, but they have liquid cash in their IRA. This is your opportunity to roll over money from your IRA account into the cryptocurrency world. Now, again, there's considerations that go with this. Is it money that you're willing to part with? But this is an opportunity for you to get in it without you pulling the liquid cash out of your pocket. Look it up. Check in the show notes today. Read about it. See how they've partnered with Kingdom Trust, which will help facilitate the rollover of your existing retirement account into a self-directed IRA account. Check out Crypto Wallet IRA. Click on the links within the show notes. Read, study it, examine it. This is a sponsor. Definitely want to check them out to get in the space. That's a good point. Very good point. You know, as I mentioned, I kind of combed through all your content out there. I'm getting into your courses. I'm going to start buying some this weekend, particularly the blockchain one, because there's a special interest for me and Lenovo with that. But let's talk about the courses you have out on Udemy. How can people go out, absorb some of your content, maybe even before getting started? What's maybe some initial courses that you would suggest to them to jump into before they even take off from here? Initially, as I said at the start, I'd recommend kind of reading the white paper or even reading kind of a summary of the white paper. I believe there's a few sites out there that kind of summarize the Bitcoin white paper. But if you've got time, and I do suggest that you do, read the Bitcoin white paper there's good books out there. I mean, by I mean, a lot of people will kind of know Andreas Antonopoulos if they've been involved in this ecosystem, even just a little bit. 
His books are a very good read, as well as a book called Crypto Assets, which is you know it's, it's kind of a, an investor's guide to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. You know, and I like the message in the book; it's very well written, and it's not kind of a pump and dump kind of scheme. It gives you a very logical approach to it. So those are some good reads that I would recommend. Um, kind of reading on the blogs and all of this, and you know, there's so much information out there that people can absorb. But at the same time, a lot of people get confused because there's so much information out there. Hence why with my stuff and my courses, I, I want to make it a logical flow for them. I want them to know when they start this, by the end of, let's say, a five-hour course, they're going to have everything they need. What would be the first course you would suggest to somebody within your courses? So currently you have 23 courses out there. Yeah. What's the first one that you would suggest to someone who is a complete novice to this? So if they were interested in Bitcoin, I definitely recommend the complete Bitcoin course we have, which is my very first course, actually. But it has been updated since then. And we've got another update rolling out next month, naturally, because the ecosystem has evolved so much. And also, at the end of that course, we send a very small amount of Bitcoin out to the student, just so they're involved practically then. And then we've helped break down that barrier for them of them hesitating to buy. That would be the very first course I'd suggest. And then from there, we have kind of a range of other courses that spoke out whether they want to get involved in cryptocurrency investing, initial coin offering investing, which we have business-focused philosophy to how to invest in them. And then if they're a developer, we have Ethereum development stuff. But definitely, I'd recommend the complete Bitcoin course as the first step. And, you know, we even do a masterclass, but that's kind of 10 plus hours long. And that goes into a lot more about security, economics, of course. Bitcoin is a big part of you know economics and all of that. And we have some great kind of expert speakers on there, such as Jeffrey Tucker and other notable people there. But yeah, I definitely recommend the first step for people will be, you know, just join my complete Bitcoin course. Even my free one, I have a free Bitcoin for beginners course, which gives you kind of a surface level introduction. Yeah, you have a Ethereum for beginners too. Yep. Even something that I wasn't aware of until I started following you was that you can become certified within Bitcoin. So you have courses out there that helps people with their certification within Bitcoin. Yeah, indeed. It's a body called the Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium. And they've got some great people on their board, which is the main thing. You know, They've got, I believe, Andres Antonopoulos is listed on their site. They've got great people, so they know what they're doing in terms of creating an exam. It's a good way to kind of just to validate your knowledge. And a lot of people say, I mean, why should I do that exam? Which is a very valid question. Um, personally, I'd say it's just to kind of certify your knowledge, whether you're going to, you know, work for a company or it's just for yourself. It's that, it's just that added value saying that you understand something a little bit better than all the other people who have just heard about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's an interesting exam to take. It's pretty challenging. But yeah, I do teach course on what is in the exam and how people can, you know, go through the exam and pass it. Thanks, man. This was really good. I really appreciate all this. This was top-notch information here. No problem. But yeah, if, if anyone has any questions at all, they're more than happy to kind of reach out. I'll reply to emails and messages and stuff like that. Yeah. I tend to get more messages when the price of Bitcoin goes up, when it tends to go down. <laughs> I know it's a drop in my inbox. So if the price goes up, please bear with me. Well, this is so awesome. I mean, great information. I didn't expect any less. And it was a pleasure having you on. So I thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 
That's today's show, gang. Hopefully you got something from that. Hopefully you were taking notes. There was such valuable information in here, specifically for those who want to join the blockchain cryptocurrency movement. I was so excited to talk to Ravinder because he is so knowledgeable about this space and so free spirited about how he gave it. I mean, it was very clear to me that he's passionate about the space beyond just the hype or what we call FOMO, fear of missing out. So hopefully you guys got something from it. Thank you again for joining me. Leave the feedback on iTunes. It's really appreciated. And I thank you so much for being committed to this podcast. It really does mean a lot to me. So I look forward to connecting with you next Sunday on the Marketplace Podcast. Until then, have an amazing week. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious.